the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about COVID and the vaccines and then the empty religions of Instagram. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this hump day on this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I think my car thermometer said 70 degrees today. Incredible. Unbelievable. And so hopefully you're getting a little bit of time out there to enjoy it. That other voice you hear is our guest host for today and tomorrow. He was on a few weeks ago as well, Steve Koble. Steve, it is great to see you, man. Brian. Pleasure, man. So excited to do this with you. This is actually, people don't know this, but we're kind of just getting back into the studio after all this. So you and I have never actually met in person until about 10 minutes ago. And so <laughs> it's it's uh, really fun. Why don't you, for people who didn't listen to you last time, which I don't know why they wouldn't have, but for those who didn't, uh, quick biography, remind them who you are a little bit. Yeah, I'm Steve Coble. I'm a, a pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. Uh, spent about the last eight years in the Chicagoland area. Originally came here to go to Ted Seminary up in Deerfield mm-hmm. and uh, kind of moseyed my way down into the city. Uh, started at Park Community Church as a teaching pastor there. Spent six years doing that. And now I'm pastoring with my good friend Derek Puckett uh, over at Renewal Church of Chicago. That's awesome. And so it's good to have Steve with us. And we almost forgot to start recording because we were talking about kids' athletics and baseball. <laughs> you were a well, a college baseball player, I think you told me, a left-handed pitcher? Left-handed pitcher, man. I like to uh, think of myself as the the taller version of Johan Santana. <laughs> I feel like left-handed pitchers, like that's a fast track to be like a middle reliever in the ML, in the Major League Baseball. So <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the right way to go. Uh, anyway, we're glad to have Steve with us. As Steve said, he is a uh, pastor as well. I'm a pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. Steve's at Renewal Church of Chicago. Uh, in Chicago. Uh, and so, Steve, I literally think tomorrow, I believe, is one year since everything shut down. That's crazy. And and to think back, like, what, let, let's start there. What do you remember about a year ago? Uh, what was going on in your life? And just what do you remember as things, the, all the dominoes were going and we're like, oh, that's closing, that's closing, that's closing. Yeah, I remember. Um, so my mother passed away October 27th of the previous year. I got married December 14th. And so I'm kind of in a whirlwind of emotional space. Yes. Come back, uh, still doing kind of an extended honeymoon with my bride. And then we get the news, essentially. Actually, I I had just come from Palm Springs. And we're hearing that, like, this thing is going to shut down the country. And uh, I get back to the office. And we're thinking about, as a pastoral team, thinking about, like, what's the next 
like what's the next move? Should we do in-person service still? Right. Should we not? And then so we make the decision to not do in-person service. Um, and so I'm calling friends around the country. We're passing around the country and they're saying, yeah, I'm not hearing this thing is not, is, is not going to be over until September or any form of yes. normality until September. And I'm telling that to the pastors that I know. And they're like, September? Yep. I don't think about se- September. And then sure enough, we got to September and then we realized, oh, no, this this is going to be another six months. That's right. Before any form of normality comes back. And so, uh, man, it's it has been uh, a whirlwind of a year. I can remember exactly like you're talking about. I remember uh, texting pastor buddies of mine being like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, I guess we got to mm-hmm. close today. Schools are closing, blah, blah, blah. And I remember being like, well, I think that was that middle of March and Easter was probably early April. I remember being like, I, I think we'll be back. For, like the goal's Easter. Like yeah. if we, we're, we'll be back for Easter. Now we're like, are we back this Easter? Right, right. So I remember when you and I talked a couple of weeks ago. You guys were, I believe, starting to at least talk about or plan on some reopening. Is that Easter? What are you, uh, are you guys in person yet? What's going on at your church? Yeah, so we just started. Um a couple of weeks ago doing live preaching at a worship gathering. So we pre-recorded the uh, worship. And so we, we meet in our office space together and we have multiple services that we'd meet in our office space together. And then the plan is that Easter Sunday will be our first live full in-person worship gathering uh, since, uh, since this time last year. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy. And that, I, we've been open with limited seating and all the masks in the sand. It's still so weird. Like you get up to preach and, you know, when you preach, you, you, you expect like that kind of give and take. This. Yeah. Yeah. And to just have people and not be able to see half their face. You're like, I, I don't know what to make of anything I'm looking at right now. Yeah, I don't even know this experience yet. So weird. I've just been preaching to a camera. Be re- It's, it's, it's better than the camera, but not much. You're like, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's but there's something just sweet about being together. So it's been a crazy year, uh, but now there's starting to be articles about like I grabbed one from NBC News right here that says the vaccines are working. Uh, and we, we I read through this one the other day that experts are saying that, quote, it's performing. The vaccines are performing beyond what they had imagined. Wow. Uh, 70 degrees outside. Schools are starting to reopen like there doesn't it feel I guess I want to ask you, does it feel to you like a light at the end of the tunnel? Like we can kind of see it and, and maybe it's almost within our grasp right now. Yeah, I, I was telling my my uh, pastor friend, Pastor Derek. You know, when they came out with the Johnson and Johnson information Mm -hmm. and then Merck says we're going to help produce the Johnson and Johnson. And then uh, I think President Biden said by May, every adult will have access to the vaccine if they want it. I said, man, I think I think that this is going to be there is light at the end of the tunnel, like legitimately full blown open by the fall. I, I don't know for sure, but it seems like what we were hoping for could be. Uh, a realistic thing. I think so. Although I don't know if you saw, I read it on the way in. Some states are obviously much looser than ours. Uh, the Texas Rangers announced today that they're having full capacity at opening day. <laughs> 40,000 people. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, would you go right now? Here, that's a good question. The Cubs and the White Sox, right? They're they're going to be at 20% right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, opening day. I feel like if somebody offered me tickets, I'd go in a heartbeat. Like, I would be there. Like, I miss baseball. I put my mask on. I'll do whatever they ask yeah. me to do. But some other people I've talked to are like, I'm not ready. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go. And we're seeing that in our churches, schools, businesses. But if I handed you two opening day tickets to the to the Cubs, yeah. would you take them? Or would you be like, I kind of want to see how this goes. So here's the thing. 
I've been vaccinated. Oh, that's right. That's so, right. <laughs> so you're ready to go. Like, I got to check the CDC guidelines for vaccinated people. But I'm kind of like, Brian, I'm going back to living my life. <laughs> I forgot so you, you can worry about all that and not get vaccinated. But I'm going back. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, how has it been being vaccinated? Has it changed everything you do right now? Or what's your mindset? I've been, I haven't talked to many. My wife actually got her first shot. But. Uh, I haven't talked to many vaccinated people as in like, okay, you're done. You're vaccinated. Are you back to normal? Are you uh, still cautious? What's what's kind of your move right now? Yeah, I feel a lot better. Yeah, a lot more, um, I, I guess, confidence in terms of like moving around, getting out of the house, all of those kinds of things. Um, I still need to understand, I guess, some of the complexities of whether mm. or not I can be a carrier of yeah. the vaccine without ever being able to get the vaccine or carrier the of virus, the yep. virus without uh, um, yeah, w- without uh, having it. Yeah. And so I, I'm not exactly sure about all of the details of that, but I think that as time goes on, I'm just going to get comfortable with wearing my mask, <laughs> doing the Corona dap, <laughs> the corona just dap. the fist bump. <laughs> And and I'm yes. I'm off to the races. There Brian. you go. I, you need a T-shirt that says "I'm vaccinated" and just walk <laughs> <Yeah>. around. <laughs> I'm proud, man. That's good for you. Good for you. I, when I saw President Biden say that everybody who wants to be vaccinated should could be able to do it by the end of May, that felt I was like, it felt okay, good, didn't it? It really does. And I know people believe different crazy things about yeah. vaccination stuff. I'm getting it when I'm able to yeah. for the exact reasons that you said. Well, we're excited to be joined by Steve Koble, uh, teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. Coming up next, an interesting article at the New York Times on the opinion section, The Empty Religions of Instagram. I'm going to talk about that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, and it's 70 degrees outside, so I'm going to say that every time we come back Praise from break. Praise the Lord. It is unreal. That other voice here is my guest co-host today, Steve Koble, uh, teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. Like, let's just be honest, like 70 degrees, I know it's windy and this, that, but it really does change your mood. Yesterday at 65, I was out throwing a ball with my kid yeah. and doing this. Like, eat. the weather definitely has an effect. Now, you told me last week you were in Palm Springs. Like, I wonder if it still does that to those people, because it's always beautiful there. It's yeah, always yeah. warm. But I know for us here in Chicago, you get this weather, and it's everything's different. Listen, Brian, I my gutter on my house, the side <laughs> of my house, was filled with so much ice mm-hmm. that literally my entire gutter came crashing no, down a couple of weeks so ago. I was so worried of that uh, for yeah. myself, yeah. It it came crashing down in the middle of the night and my something about my soul just just went down and then the gray sky came back the next day and it it was depressing. Yeah. And so to come back and it's like sunny and you know the wind is blowing but the sun is out and it's warm it it is done something different. I've gotten a dose of vitamin D and I'm oh, back and ready to rock and roll. It's a beautiful thing. I I took the do- I we have two dogs and I was like I'm going to take them for a walk and it was the first time in months where the first thought wasn't like do I want to walk them? It's freezing outside. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, wait, this is pleasant. Let's do this. Yeah. Do I need to put booties on their, their I know. feet? I know. <laughs> do they need a sweater? It's so My dogs get in so much better shape because I walk them so much more. <laughs> it's nice <laughs> outside. So we hope you're taking some time to enjoy this beautiful weather. Uh, I, I think it's going to be like this for a few days. 
Steve and I have lived around here long enough to know that I'm sure there's another snowstorm in the in the in the month of March, but we're gonna we're just gonna cross our fingers that that's not the case, and hopefully it stays like this. Well, a really interesting article at New York Times. It was entitled this. It's in the opinion section. It says the empty religions of Instagram. Let me read some of this, Steve, and then I'd love to just get kind of your feel on what they're getting at here. It says on Instagram, the author says, I follow 700 people, mostly women. 100 of those women follow Glennon Doyle, whose memoir Untamed has been a bestseller for 51 weeks. Uh, remember, this is the New York Times talking here. It says fans of Miss Doyle's gospel, an accessible combination of self-care, activism and tongue in cheek Christianity can worship at any time, day or night, at the electric church of her Instagram feed. By replacing the rigid dogma of religion with the confessional lingua franca, I have no idea what that means, of social media, Miss Doyle has become a charismatic preacher for women like me who aren't even religious. 22% of millennials are not affiliated with a specific religion. We are known as religious nuns. The Pew Research Center found that the number of nuns in the population as a whole increased nine percentage points from 2009 to 2019. The main reasons that nuns are unaffiliated are that they question religious teachings or that they don't like the church's stance on social issues. But are we truly non-religious or are our belief systems too bespoke to appear on a list of major religions in the Pew phone survey. So there's going to be a lot more here. What, what do you just think of that beginning, this idea that we, you and our pastors, we hear all about the nuns, N-O-N-E-S's, and, and that they're leaving, the millennials are leaving, and that they're, they're gravitating to things like Instagram preachers, like influencers, not churches and pastors. Do you think this is, uh, this is getting on to something here at the New York Times? I'm not exactly sure, Brian, but what I do think that as a Christian pastor, and I think what what Romans 1 kind of articulates to us is that we were created for worship. And Mm -hmm. so we we will worship something. It's good. Uh, We will build our lives on some kind of uh, ideology or we will build, even if it's not, even if we're irreligious, Mm -hmm. we can make up our own rules for how we can be our own self-salvation strategy. Mm. And so I think that as much as people would call themselves irreligious, there's some form of religion that they ascribe to. It just might not be uh, the institutional Christian church. Yeah. It says here, Miss Doyle and other quasi-spiritual influencers are the latest iteration of an American institution that has been around since the second half of the 20th century, that being the televangelist. Uh, so, again, you and I are pastors, and, and I want to give you the opportunity to speak of this. Uh, if it's true that millennials particularly are, are going away from the institutional church, uh, they're going away from the church. Uh, I would love for you to speak on both ends uh, to the millennial who's going, I don't need church. Like, what would your answer to them be? And then what do we learn from like, what does the church have to learn? Like, what what is it that we're doing that might be pushing millennials away? So kind of a both end of it. You could pick which one to choose first, uh, because this is a, certainly a really important conversation. Yeah, I, I think that uh, on the, the the side of things that that's like, man, what are we doing as uh, a church? Mm-hmm. Um Man, I, I think that there's certain portions of the Christian population that looks at, and I'm going to get to the second part of your mm-hmm, question. Mm-hmm. Um, they look at kind of the the politicized nature of, uh, or the enmeshed nature of maybe Christianity and the Republican Party, mm-hmm. and they say, you know what, I I don't really want anything to to do with that, and then. I, I and I think that some of the ways that the the church has kind of come out 
in terms of socially and in the history of where the church has been socially yeah. or how they've been behind on certain things. Um, you know, I always say, and, and it's just a reference to a podcast that I listened to with a couple of guys, that the the progressive side of things is wanting the uh, the accoutrements of the kingdom mm-hmm. without submitting itself to the kingship or the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's really good. And so there, there's value systems and values that, that are inherently like they're Christian ethics. <laughs> yes. They're Christian practices to, to value equality and the uplifting of women in society and uh, all of these different things and adoption and uh, foster care and all of those. Those are Christian things like pre Christ. Those yeah. things are yeah. not like value systems in society. And uh, on the, on the other side of, of this, I think that, you know, you look at the Mike Todd's of the world and the Instagram preachers of the world, and I love what some of them are doing. I don't know some some of these folks who are right. producing some of this other stuff, um, but I think that this pandemic has shown us something uh, inherently about community yeah, and the importance of community and connection. And I think the reality is, is regardless of what people uh, ascribe to for a season of time, eventually it's going to be a thing where like, I need community. I need mm-hmm. connection with other mm-hmm. people. I need uh, to have touch points with other people in life. And maybe part of part of the millennial push against it is to not have that form of accountability. Yeah. Um, but I, I still think that inherently in the human soul is this sort of knowing that I am created in the image of God and I need connection to mm-hmm. other people. And I think that on the other side of this pandemic, man, the the church gathering is going to be this like, whoa, no doubt. This is what this is what we humanly long for. Yeah. So th- th- that's my tidbit. That's good. That's good. I think you're right about the church gathering, because I, there was a point in this pandemic where people are like, are people just going to get so comfortable? They're just going to stay home. And this and I'm like. I I do not hear that from people. I hear people going, please, can yeah. we get back? Please, can I hug my neighbor? Please, can I? And I think we need to be ready for that in, in a good way. I think that's going to be really good. And this article goes on. I think one of the interesting things about this Instagram um, kind of discussion, it says the whole economy of Instagram is based on our thinking about ourselves, posting about ourselves, working on ourselves. And I mm. think it's this self-centeredness. Mm. That that runs against what the church does and against the gospel. But I think the church needs to be ready to speak to that because there's this seems to be the draw. Well, we're putting this up on our Facebook page. We would love to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, it is our Facebook, Twitter, and ironically, Instagram pages at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, uh, Steve and I are going to talk about uh, a couple days ago when Aubrey Sampson was here. We discussed this stat out of the Barna Group, and I'm very interested to get Steve's uh, opinion on it. So we're going to go back to a stat we talked about a couple days and talk about evangelism. Coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside my guest host for today and tomorrow, Steve Koble. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us. Steve, I want to read to you a tweet, but before we do that, you told me uh, that you're a baseball player. You know, last time you were on, we got you to, to admit that you're an Indianapolis Colts fan. Yeah. You know, Carson yeah. Wentz. I'm sure you have the jersey now. Come on. You're going to have a newborn son, probably going to come out and put on a Carson Wentz jersey or Peyton Manning or something, whatever you go with. Uh, who's your favorite baseball team? You a Cubs fan, White Sox fan, neither? <laughs> our, our audience knows I'm a neither. I'm a New York Mets fan, but uh, you're a baseball player. See, who's you're your proud to just share, like, 
to be the contrarian. I am. I kind of am like, hey, guys, I'm a Cubs fan. <laughs> but really, Brian, I, I like the Reds, too. <laughs> no. <laughs> I grew up a big King Griffey Jr. fan, um, and so I, I followed him. Went to a lot of Indianapolis Indians games. That was the AAA team mm-hmm. in, in my hometown. And then I moved to Central Illinois to play baseball and very quickly realized I either needed to choose the Cardinals or I needed to choose the Cubs. And so my roommate was a big, big Cubs fan, and we just watched the Cubs yep. all the time. And so then to be in Chicago when they won the World Series, it was just really, it's really crazy. cool. Yeah. So I root for the Cubs. Okay. I love going to Cubs games. I got to be honest. Like I said, it, I grew up in New Jersey, about 45 minutes outside New York City. So Mets fan, New York Giants fan, well, all that kind of stuff. Uh, moving out here, I think you either lose your team and like pick up where you're living, or it makes you more hardcore of a yeah. fan. Like I was a big Mets fan, but I got out here. I was like, I hate the Cubs. Go, Let's go Mets. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably how you feel about football. So. Uh, I try to be a Bears fan. I try to root for the Bears. It's hard. <laughs> and it's hard. It is really, truly, it is a hard thing. And I still remember the Indianapolis Colts played the Chicago Bears uh, in the Super Bowl while I was um, in junior college. And people just started saying Rex Grossman was better than Peyton Manning oh, and just <laughs> random craziness. And I, I just was like, no. He's not. There's no way. And the Bears have always had bad quarterbacks. So I, you know, if they get Russell Wilson, which sounds like it could listen, happen, if they get Russell Wilson, the Bears are my NFC team. There you go. But the way you always test who you're actually a fan of, because I'll have people be like, "Oh, I like the this and the Bears," and I'm like, if they played in the playoffs or the Colts and the Bears played in the Super Bowl, I think you're probably wearing your Colts jersey, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. Let's go Giants. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Giants have not been good, and I'm not sure they will be anytime soon. Okay, here is what I saw on Twitter. It's from Lee Strobel, but he was retweeting the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Uh, and I had a, uh, Aubrey Sampson, and I talked about this a few days ago on the show, and I would just love to know you as a pastor. Uh, you have a heart to see people come to know the Lord. Like, how do you even make sense of this? Lee Strobel, uh, the, the Billy Graham Association tweeted this. In a recent Barna Group study, and so anyone out there is unfamiliar with Barna, that's kind of like when you see Barna, like it's got respect to it. Like you understand the statistics. It says in a recent Barna Group uh, study, 47% of millennial Christians responded that witnessing to non-believers is wrong. What do you think? So, Steve, I'll turn that question to you. What When you read that, uh, what do you think? Well, I... I, my first initial thought is like the Great Commission hasn't changed. The, the <laughs> yes. Bible is still the Bible. Mm-hmm. And if we ascribe to Jesus Christ as, uh, as Lord and Savior, then his call to make disciples of uh, every nation is still his call to make disciples of every nation. Yeah. And they can't hear without a preacher. Mm. And so I, I think that maybe historically the presentations of the church, at least in terms of uh, maybe open air preaching or, you know, especially in the city of Chicago, oftentimes if you see somebody open air preaching, they're saying some crazy stuff Mm. and and not in the sense that it's not true, but it's not compassionate. It's not uh, it's not loving. It's it's kind of hateful. And I I wonder if people are reacting to that. Um, I, I wonder, too, if we have too small of a definition of sin mm. and we don't get to the root area of 
uh, or the, the, the underlying issue with our rebellion against God, mm-hmm. right? When we want to share the gospel of grace. And I, I think that Romans 1 captures it. I, I think that, you know, Rankin Wilborn has, has been a guy who I've turned to and Tim Keller to talk about how we understand sin. But Rankin Wilborn kind of defines sin as building our life on things other than God mm-hmm. uh, or building our life on things uh, to bring us lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace that aren't God. Yeah. And if we're created by God and for God, that inherently is uh, rebellion against God. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think when you think about sin in those terms, rather than like I had, uh, you know, I had sex with my girlfriend before we got married right. and therefore God hates me and all of that stuff. The reality is the underneath sin of that mm. is that you're trusting in something other than God to bring you lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy and peace. And so I'm wondering if people aren't reacting to the way that you know traditional gospel presentation has been presented in maybe a more legalistic perspective or at least one that doesn't get to the source of our human problem that's good that's good i also wonder uh if what people are reacting to here is not as much i shouldn't witness but how we've been taught to do it yeah in terms of uh and again we talked about this the other day but like so much of evangelism, I feel like in, in in the past generations, including my own, was like you gotta you gotta seal the deal. Yeah, <laughs> like they hey, all that matters is that that person goes from I'm going to hell to I'm going to heaven, and mm-hmm. like there's no. So I told a story about how I I literally went to a a week long camp where like part of it was we would walk out with clipboards and go ask questions and this and that, and it was. Uh, somewhat awkward. And, and so you're a pastor and you have a heart to reach the city and, and reach people. How do you talk of evangelism to your church? What what do you speak of them when you tell them, hey, we're called to go and make disciples? And if someone's like, well, how do we do that? What should we do? What, what are some things that come to mind that you talk to your church about? Yeah, I I personally want my church to understand how uh, what the gospel of grace is mm-hmm. and what it is not. And so if it is good news uh, and if the source of my human problem and their human problem is bigger than, uh, man, I got angry at somebody today mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, but it, it's inherently like, man, I'm trusting in something other than God to bring me lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy and peace. Then that message is for everybody. And other people can see that. Mm. Right. I'm trusting in my vocation or I'm trusting in uh, my 401k or I'm trusting in this salary or I'm trusting in my beauty or I'm, tr- mm. you know, all of these different things. Right. It, it's helpful to be able to wrap your mind around those different things if you can see them in your own life instead mm. of like. You know, probably the way other people present it, it, or historically it's been presented, is here. I recognize this sin in your life. Yes, that sin. You, you know, as if it's not, it, it, as if I don't have a problem with that, or if as if I, it's you know, that's not my thing, but I got my thing. Yeah. Um. And so grace doesn't doesn't look like grace when you present it that way. Mm. And so I think that the getting the essence of. Uh, faith in the person and work of Jesus, Jesus as the grace of God given to us, and uh, how that showed up in our own lives mm-hmm. is vitally important. And I, I think that, uh, so getting kind of a distilled, like, this is the gospel, but I, I think also is, you know, when you're at your job or when you're uh, talking to your neighbors, are you 
being loving? Are you being a good neighbor? Yeah. Are you building relational capital with people before yeah. you just throw them uh, up into the middle of the message of the gospel? Mm-hmm. Uh, do they know that you care and love about lo- yeah. love them? So uh, love and a very distinct understanding of the gospel of grace. That's really good, man. We'd love for we, I wanted to bring this back up because I knew Steve would have some thoughts and some good uh, leading for us, which he did. But I'd just love to know your thoughts out there. Uh, because as, as Steve so succinctly said, the Great Commission hasn't changed. The Bible's still the Bible, and uh, this feels like more about methodology, but but we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. And, uh, yeah, love to know what you think. Again, I'm joined with uh, by Steve Coble, uh, teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. I'm Brian Fromm. We're glad that you're joining us today on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Steve Coble, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Well, Steve, I, I don't know that we've talked about it. We talked about it last time you were on, but uh, you and your wife are, are expecting a, your first child. How are we feeling? Yeah. You said uh, 20 weeks right now, so you're kind of in that mid-spot. Is yeah. it starting to sink in, putting together cribs? What, what, are, what are we feeling right now? Uh, I'm feeling poor. <laughs> I'm feeling poor. <laughs> no, um, man, we, you know, you just, you're just you excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a little boy, and we're trying to get the nursery together and all of that stuff. And I think it's just the realization of, oh, this stuff is expensive. Uh, I got to put this into the budget now. <laughs> um, and I think as I don't know, I think as a dad, you're just you're you're thinking of like, all right, I got to provide for for my family. For and, sure. um, and part of uh, uh, my nesting process is making sure everybody has what they need and yeah. and all of that stuff. And so overall, man, it's just super exciting. We're going to go have the twenty week uh, appointment here next week, and oh, that's awesome. Uh, we're we're just uh, pumped to bring a life into this world. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Fatherhood is there's there's nothing like it when just it, it, you, you're. You never know your ability to love another human being till mm. when that baby comes out. And you're like, oh, okay, everything's changed. I'm not going to ask you for the name, but you know you're having a boy. Have you guys landed on a name, or is this is there some negotiating going on? There's some negotiating going on. You know, I am I am Stephen Robert Coble. My father's name is Stephen Wayne Coble, and so the idea would be to name this baby Stephen Coble again and call him Trey, oh, as okay. in he's the third. So that's oh, like that. that's like on the it. table right now, and then we're trying to figure out what's the middle name going to be. Should we do the same middle name? Should we change the middle name altogether? Yeah. And so we're trying to figure that out. And um, yeah, I I think we're set. We had more girl names ready, <laughs> ready to locked and loaded, and excited about. Yep. And then we're like, uh, should we just name them my name? <laughs> should we just go with this? I, names were a hard thing for my wife and I. We never found out with any of our kids. We didn't find out what we were having. Really? And so I don't know why. We just liked being surprised. And uh, yeah, I but, hate being surprised. I usually do, but this was this was okay. The negotiating around names was going on as we're driving to the hospital. Like, okay, wait, we need a name. Uh, so it, it is something. There's like this weight to be like, whatever I choose is what this person will be I called know. for the rest of their I life. I know. <laughs> will I like Trey at three years old? I don't know. <laughs> or more importantly, will he like right. it? <laughs> Dad, why'd you name me that? That's why when people name their kids like really off the wall stuff, I'm always like, why? Why'd you do that? Jerry? Yeah, I like Trey. That's that's good. Okay. Yeah. So okay. we'll see. Uh, all right. So let me. Uh, I'm going to paint a scenario for you, 
And we did this here on the show with one of our guest hosts a couple of weeks ago and got a lot of feedback about it. So got a lot of discussion. And so uh, I'm going to I'm going to put you in a in a real life situation that I was in. And I want I want to know, honestly, how would you have responded? Oh OK, here we go. My daughter and I so 11 years old, um, <clears throat> we were out running errands. And uh, I know the way to my 11 year old daughter's heart is to surprise her by going through the drive through at Starbucks. So, you know. Pull in for a five dollar drink, you know, whatever. Points. Uh, exactly. You know, you know the way to their souls. So <laughs> we go through the drive through, and uh, I order my you know three dollar iced tea. She orders her five dollar whatever it is. And mm-hmm. We pull up to the window, and the barista looks out. And he goes, "Hey, man, it's your lucky day. The car in front of you paid for you." And I was like, "Awesome!" Where, yeah. where I'm like, "This is the best." And then I realized that there's a car behind me in line. Oh, and so they're waiting for me to pay or not pay. My daughter's looking at me. The barista's looking down. So three options here. Okay. And I want to know what you would honestly have done. And then I'll tell you what I did. Uh, Option one is you take the drink and you say, thank you. Drive away. Yeah. Option two is you pay for the car behind you, no matter what their bill is. So yeah. you don't wow. know if they got wow. a, a coffee or they're buying for their whole office. You don't know. Wow. That's major. Or number three, you pay for their bill up to what you were going to owe. So, hey, how much do they owe? I'll put five bucks on it or whatever else. That I don't see. You Maybe you see another scenario there. I don't see another scenario. I've got my daughter staring at me. I've got the barista looking down at me, waiting for something. Steve, Steve Koble is in line at Starbucks. This scenario happens to him. What does he do? So I can answer this just on the basis of my personality. Okay. <laughs> and like, I really enjoy giving gifts to people. There you go. And so, you know, my wife would tell you, I, I kind of like. The numbers, I'm like, that's the thing that kind of like whatever the number is, I just want to be able to. Now, depending on how closely I'm paying attention to the budget that month, because <laughs> yes. I have my giving and charity charitable donations line in, in my line item. And I see <laughs> I seem to keep going over yes. uh, on my budget. And so depending on when the last time I checked the budget, I would probably say, hey, Here's what I would have paid. Okay. And then if I wasn't paying attention to the budget or if I was low uh, on my budget, then I would just pay for it. Okay. Okay. So uh, I had the added uh, pressure of my daughter sitting next to me because she's seeing what's going on. And so she's looking at me. You got to be an example of grace. I jokingly, I I did it as a, I I framed it as a joke, but I, I turned to the barista and I go, I guess I need to ask you, how much do they owe behind me? And uh, I don't know what I would have done if it was a lot. Yeah. In the end, I won out because my my order was eight dollars. Theirs was three. And so I could look like the hero in front of my daughter. And yeah, be like, yeah. Here you go. I don't know what I would have done if he was like, oh, their order is twenty two fifty. But wisdom said, ask the question. Yes. I don't know how I would have responded. It's interesting. I actually brought this up to our church. I used it as a sermon illustration because that's what we as pastors do. Right. And uh, I think only. Like, I don't know if they were just not willing to admit it, but I said, like, uh, in a room of, like, 50 people, only five of them said they would have driven away and just taken the free drink. Uh, Do you believe them, though? I think I think there's more people than who are willing to admit who would have said, yeah, thank you, sir. Yeah, I think that's like a certain spiritual gifting. (laughs) There's a certain part. Yeah, there's a certain. (laughs) 
a certain level of the the spiritual gifts would have said leadership would have said I'm driving away. <laughs> leadership, <laughs> leadership looked at the budget. I did have the helps. Thought. Help said, said, let me pay for let it. Let me go. Uh, discernment said, hey, tell me how much they owe yeah. back there. I, I did wonder. Uh, you, you do wonder if the baristas there are like just tired of people. Like, when does it stop? Oh, yeah. You know, when does it stop? And somebody did bring up an interesting point. Somebody said, I don't think you should have paid for the person behind you. I think you should have tipped the barista what you owed. And I'm like... Why would I do that? <laughs> but but so you're not paying for them behind you, but you knew you owed yeah, eight bucks. Yeah. So hey, that's awesome. But here's eight bucks. Here's the bigger problem. I don't carry it. Do you carry cash anymore? I don't. Exactly. I don't, I don't carry cash, so I don't know if I could tip them on my you know on my phone. Right. Right. I got excited the other day in the airport because I swiped my card to get something out of the vending machine, <laughs> and it pushed out a dollar. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. So I gave it to my wife and was like, here, we got some cash to give to people when they ask us for it. Without <laughs> a dollar. <laughs> Somebody in my church the other day was trying to tell me, uh, you, you always need cash on you. And I'm like, I can't remember the last time that I purposefully, if, you know, if someone gives you cash or oh, whatever. Totally. But, with coronavirus as well, like people yeah. are less and less taking cash. I just carry Bitcoin everywhere. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just pay in that. All right. So I liked how you answered. You're the second one that we've posed this Starbucks scenario to. I think the general rule of thumb, even if we don't believe it, is people saying you got to pay something for the people behind you. You just can't yeah. be that guy. But there's people out there right now. Going, I like the barista idea, though. I like the tipping the barista. idea. That's not bad. That's not bad. So anyway, I uh, thought we would bring that story back back. Glad we did to hear what Steve had to say. Well, coming up in the next hour, uh, we've got to talk about this Beth Moore story from yesterday, and then we're thrilled to be joined by Karen Swallow Pryor. She's a research professor of English and Christianity and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, author of many books, and somebody we really enjoy here on the show. Karen Swallow Pryor is going to join us in the second hour here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Beth Moore and the Southern Baptist Convention. And then we're joined for two segments by the research professor of English and Christianity and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Her name is Karen Swallow Pryor. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life, alongside Steve Coble. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a beautiful Tuesday or on a Wednesday. Is today Wednesday? It's Wednesday today. Today is Wednesday. That's what's going to happen when you guys have a baby, man. You're going to be like, <laughs> I is believe it, it. Is I it believe day it. or night? Tuesday or Wednesday? What's going on? I probably on? had to ask my wife before I came here what day it was. <laughs> what day is it? Where am I going? So, uh, yes, it is a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Hope you're having a great day. That other voice here is Steve Coble. He is the teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago, uh, in Chicago. I remind people, where is it in Chicago? How can they find you guys? We're just on the near northwest side of the city. So uh, we're at Chicago in Ashland, uh, just on the near northwest side of the city. Our, our website is RenewalChicago.com. Okay. What exit? This is a really... I'm such a not-a-city guy. Like, what exit is that uh, off of 290? Is that... Uh, Going in, or That's you know, we're near like there. Milwaukee or Division is okay. is kind of like the area that you'd be getting off on. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's uh, 
that's awesome. I'm going to come down and visit sometime. You should. Right? Be fun. Once you're open again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the rest of us. True. Trying to figure it all out, right? So we're glad to have Steve. Steve's here today. Going to be joining us again tomorrow. And uh, we are thrilled for that. All right, man. Every now and then there are stories that in the Christian world... Uh, you get on Twitter and you're like, okay, I've now seen 20 people share this story. I've now seen uh-huh. 15, you know, and yesterday was one of those days uh, around uh, somebody who is very well known in the evangelical circles. Her name is Beth Moore. Uh, and so let me tell you a little bit of the backstory here. And then I think I, what I'd love to talk about is why is this such a big story? Because it, it, I don't know if you saw it, on, uh, if it was the same on your social media, but mine, it was just like just all over the place. So uh, it says for nearly three decades, Beth Moore has been the very model of a modern Southern Baptist. She loves Jesus and the Bible and has dedicated her life to teaching others why they need both of them in their lives. Millions of evangelical Christian women have read her Bible studies and flocked to hear her speak at stadium style events. Moore's outside outsized influence and role in teaching the Bible have always made some evangelical power brokers uneasy because of their belief that only men should be allowed to preach. But Moore was above reproach, supporting Southern Baptist teaching that limits the office of pastor to men alone and cheerleading for the missions and evangelistic work that the denomination holds dear. She's been a stalwart of the word of God, never compromising, said Tom Rayner, uh, former Lifeway Christian Resources president. Uh, and when all is said and done, the impact of Beth Moore can only be measured in eternity's grasp. Then along came Donald Trump. Moore's criticism of the 45th president's abusive behavior toward women and her advocacy for sexual abuse victims turned her from a beloved icon to a pariah in the denomination she once loved. Wake up, sleeper, she wrote, to what women have dealt with all along in environments of gross entitlement and power, she wrote. Uh, Because of her opposition to Trump and her outspokenness in confronting sexism and nationalism in the evangelical world, Moore has been labeled as, quote, liberal and, quote, woke, and even as being a heretic for daring to give a message during a Sunday morning service. Finally, Moore has had enough. She told Religion News Service in an interview on Friday that she is, quote, no longer a Southern Baptist. She said, I'm a Baptist, but I can no longer identify with the Southern Baptist. I love so many Southern Baptist people, so many Southern Baptist churches, but I don't identify with some of the things in our heritage that haven't remained in our pa- in the past. Uh, Moore told Religion News Service that she recently ended her longtime publishing partnership with Lifeway Christian, uh, Lifeway Christian, uh, while they'll still distribute her books. Now she will be going with another um, publisher. So that's the kind of the synopsis of the story. Uh, this was a really big deal yesterday. So before we kind of dive into it, I'm just curious why you think this was such a big deal in the Christian, in the evangelical world yesterday. Well, I, I think that, you know, more than I even can fully understand, Beth Moore is sort of a figurehead of uh, of women Bible teachers mm-hmm. in the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I say figurehead, like she's the one. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's the Michael Jordan, if you will, <laughs> of yes. uh, women Bible teachers. And so for a lot of people, I think it, it rocked their world because they had followed her for such a long time. And for for them to feel like she's shifted at, at any uh, sort of direction for a lot of people, I think it's it's rocked their world a bit. And yet, I you know I think Beth Beth Moore, you know, the best of my knowledge is is working off of what she understands in front of her and what the Bible reveals in Scripture. Yeah, so, 
I wonder, uh, you know, this this could uh, jump us into the deep end here. But in the last couple months, because we try to tackle this stuff on our show because we're a show about the evangelical church and trying to wrestle with what's going on. Uh, we have seen the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, which is well, you might ask, why are we talking about that? Neither of us are Southern Baptists, as far as I know, they are. But that's the number one largest denomination in evangelicalism. Like It's the biggest. And so. Uh, you've seen a lot of people like Beth Moore pulling out. Uh, Russell Moore is just getting attacked. You've seen a lot of African, uh, prominent African-American pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention saying, I just can't do this anymore. And I guess I would wonder, is this a good thing? Like there's a reckoning coming in which people are wrestling with. All right. These are our roots. This is what's going on. Or, or is this a huge red flag about some real underlying problems within the evangelical world right now? Brian, I'm not exactly sure. When I saw Beth Moore's response to saying I'm no longer a part of the Southern Baptist mm-hmm. Convention, it reminded me of Pastor Charlie Dates, mm-hmm. who uh, I know personally, and uh, and a lot of people, I think, in, in traditional evangelical spaces hear what he says is controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know him personally, and I, I know he has a Ph.D. in theological studies from <laughs> Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and so I've been to that school, and it's really hard. <laughs> Yes. And it's really uh, intellectually challenging, so and and it's a really great school, and uh, and one of the best schools in the evangelical tradition. And so, I know that he's thought through the things that that he has had to say, and um, I know that him and Beth Moore have kind of cultivated a, a friendship over right? the course of the past couple of years. And some other people that I know who are African American pastors, I think for Beth Moore experiencing her own marginalization, and then the response to the critical race theory um, kind of uh, the, the, the condemnation of the critical race theory mm-hmm. in the Southern Baptist Convention, it made me think that Beth Moore is saying, all right, racism and misogyny is being accepted mm. in the Southern Baptist Convention. Therefore, I've got to walk away. And, yeah. and, and in, the, in the sense of like, if my African-American brother is not being treated fairly within this community, uh, I'm willing to lay down my rights yeah. to walk away myself. And so that's what came to mind is this just that she's been in community and in proximity to a lot more minority leaders in the convention that has kind of steered her to uh, to, you know, kind of be convinced that this is her path forward. That's really well put, man. I, I I've never met Charlie Dates. We've never had a chance to have him on the show, but he seems brilliant. Every time I've ever listened to him seems prophetic and seems just brilliant. The thing about him is that he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Is that right? So we were just talking about what, what it's like to experience somebody off air. Yes. It's like he's one of those dudes who will sit and talk about families and stuff like that together. He's just a wonderful man. Yeah. And every now and then, Ian and I used to joke about this, and I'm sure you feel this as a preacher sometimes, that when you see certain other people preach, you go, I should never do this again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Charlie Dates is one of those. When you watch him preach, you're just like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't ever talk into a microphone yeah, ever the again. The greatest compliment I, I have yet to receive uh, was that uh, Pastor Charlie tells me that there was a girl that came up to service after church one day and s- told him, you ha- you preach such a wonderful message, you remind me of Pastor Steve Colbert. <laughs> yes. And he got such a cra- he He got such... Such uh, just joy out of hearing that. So did you. So cracked up about it. And I was like, I'm pretty awesome. Yes. I need to meet her and ever say that again. He like had to tell me that story the next time he saw me. And I I was like, man, 
That is so funny. Well, that Beth Moore story is a big one right now. And, uh, you know, I think that's why we needed to tackle it, because it is all over the Christian world right now. And people are wrestling with what does it mean? Is this a good thing? You know, people or is this uh, a big red flag as to what is going on? We've got that up on our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. We would love to hear more. Well, we can't wait to talk over the next two segments to the professor of English and Christianity and culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, author of many books. Uh, regularly on Twitter as well. Her name is Karen Swallow Pryor. Karen is going to join us for the next two segments here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Steve Coble, my guest host today, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on such a beautiful day here in the Chicagoland area. And we couldn't be more thrilled than to have the guest that we have on the phone for the next two segments. Uh, she does a ton of stuff, a professor and author. Also uh, has started writing a, a regular column at the Religion News Service at RNS. Uh, that is just, you need to go read it. We're going to want to talk to her about some of those articles. That person that we are talking about is Karen Swallow Pryor. Karen, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you. It's absolutely our pleasure. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit? Sure. Well, as you said, I have a new column at Religion News Service, um, and in writing that, I'm really drawing on uh, my decades um, as uh, an English professor at uh, a Christian institution now at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, a writer of books, um, kind of a a thinker and um, and participant in uh, the wider evangelical culture as well as um, the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, so it's yeah, I guess I'm drawing on a lot of things as I write about these things and, and, and talk to folks like you. Yeah, we're grateful to have you on. Uh, the first article that you wrote, the first column that you wrote, I believe, for the Religion News Service of your new columns was called Still Baptist, Still Evangelical. That was back in, uh, I believe, in February. And, and I, I found that to be just a fascinating article. We actually talked about it here on the show uh, in, in a really kind of... Um, personal way for you to kind of introduce yourself to the audience, right, with your new column. I'd love to know, uh, why did you choose that topic or to start with? And let our people know kind of what was the point of that article? Yeah, well, you know, Religion News Service is just what it sounds like. It's mm-hmm. a, a news service for all religion, which isn't just Christianity, as all the world religions. Um, and even the Christian coverage isn't necessarily my own um, camp of, of conservative evangelicals or Baptists. And so um, when RNS contacted me uh, and asked me to come on board, a part of the reason was they wanted to have more voices um, from from conservative evangelicals. And so I I just thought that an introductory kind of, uh, of column would um, serve that purpose well to introduce myself and also just kind of show that um, that that conservative evangelicals are part of this conversation. Mm-hmm. And because, um, you know, because it just seems like a lot of attention has been focused on the divisions and polarizations and the changes and the departures, with, especially within Southern Baptist um, circles and then even just wider evangelicalism since the election, um, the 
in 2016 and 2020, evangelical mm-hmm. has been in a lot of headlines. And a lot of people are, are departing or deconstructing, and I guess I was just saying, you know, I'm, I'm part of these conversations, and I'm pushing against a lot of this, but I'm, I'm still here. Yeah. And uh, I kind of wanted to explain, you know, where I was coming from, that I, I come from a, a a history of of a long time in the in Baptist churches and considering myself an evangelical, um, I think my eyes are wide open to the the problems we're facing. Yeah. But I'm still committed, and um, and I hope to encourage others who might be as well. Karen, just in talking about your your that particular portion of your first article, and then when you look at your second article that you wrote for them on March third, and this idea of of shame, I have been reading uh, Kurt Thompson's "The Soul of Shame" and the story that stories that we tell about ourselves, and a kind of broad perspective. I've also spent some time as. Um, I shouldn't say a nerd at seminary because <laughs> you're a seminary professor. Uh, but once upon a time, I took a, a, a class called Classic Texts in the History of Christianity. And so we would read all types of different things. We would read uh, Marcus Aurelius uh, Meditations. We would read Plato's Symposium, um, all, all types of stuff. And so one of the things that I remember from some of Augustine's stuff was uh, this idea of plundering the Egyptians. And mm-hmm. in talking about this um, kind of this idea of shame and the pervasiveness that you put in your article, I'm just curious with with people leaving the evangelical church or saying I'm done with evangelicalism. Uh, a lot of that, I, I feel like from African-American folks has been in response to the SBC's promotion of or or sort of their uh, condemning of critical race theory and. So this is sort of a long way to to ask, and I'll wrap up my question. As I think about those books like uh, like Plato's Symposium, and I remember uh, my professor saying that that Augustine kind of commandeered Neoplatonism to talk about God being the highest being. It made sense to me that as Christians, we could take something like critical race theory and apply it as like a plundering of the Egyptians for the sake of understanding race and racism. And so I'm curious if when, when you think about the idea of critical race theory and the Southern Baptist Convention's condemnation of critical race theory, that uh, like, are we allowed to plunder the Egyptians when it comes to critical race theory? Or is, that, is that like a faux idea that I've created in my mind? <laughs> wow, that's yeah, that's that's that is the question, isn't it? And mm. um, you know, I, I appreciate that you talked about your uh, nerdiness of the seminary, <laughs> and because in some ways, you know, in some ways there is a division here. Um, there's a way that um, that we in academia are trained to treat questions and to treat theories. And it's hard to not take that training with us wherever we go. I mean, um, we we study so many different worldviews and ideologies, and um, they wouldn't uh, gain any traction or be worthy of any attention if they didn't have some truth in them. And um, and so I think we're we're trained to do that to look and see what can we take from this. What you know what's what's the meat that we can chew and what are the bones we need to spit out. And um, Augustine certainly his idea that all truth is God's truth and we can plunder uh, the Egyptians and use that gold that we get from them for the service of the Lord is 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 
a key idea has been one in, uh, in the church for a long time. So um, I certainly agree that is the general approach that Christians for um, centuries have taken toward worldly philosophies. And this, um, you know, critical race theory has just been something that just in this time, in this place of social media and so much other political division, it just kind of is a, a convergence of different issues that, um, that has touched on a lot of sore spots. And so I think the question we face is what's really underneath the concerns? And maybe that's what, this is a time that God can just kind of help us. You know, he's stripping back some of the layers, and we have to do that work to get underneath what's the surface and and figure that out. And um, boy, it's a hard time in the church right now, and God has called us to it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely, absolutely. And so we're thrilled to be joined by Karen Swallow Pryor. She is uh, more than gracious enough to stay with us for a second segment. Karen, before we close out this segment, you had, like, as we were talking off air, you had a book come out just yesterday. I'd love for you to tell people about it and point them to where they can get it, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into a second segment. Tell us about your new book. Well, sure. It's actually two books as part of a six uh, volume series on the classics. I've, I've, um, edited and reproduced um, uh, a number of classics, and the ones that just came out are Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, I've written introductions to new readers and discussion questions and and footnotes to help readers engage with these classic texts, whether for the first time or the twelfth time. That's awesome. Again, that's Karen Swallow Pryor, Research Professor of English and Christianity and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, author of many books, and as we've been talking about. She also now has a monthly column at RNS at Religion News Service, and we couldn't uh, encourage you enough to go find those articles. We'll put them up on our Facebook page uh, as well. And Karen, uh, again, you wrote one called Still Baptist, Still Evangelical, another one called Shame, Grace, and Hashtag Stop the Steal. Uh, and, and a lot of, of your writings has to do with, with the Southern Baptist Convention and this and why you're still Baptist. And, and I wanted to just add, when I saw the story last night, I, I don't know how many tweets I saw about Beth Moore leaving the Southern Baptist Convention and how big that was. Uh, and and I, I wonder if you could help people understand why that was such a big deal. And I'm not going to ask you to speak for Beth Moore, but really just speak to why that is a huge deal and, and uh, within the Southern Baptist Convention and evangelicalism as a whole. Sure. Well, I mean, I don't know if anyone can really think about the Southern Baptist Convention with with any knowledge without thinking about Beth Moore. Right. She played such a, wow. a tremendous role in um, bringing Bible study and the love of the Bible to so many women um, at a time that you know where women um, were beginning to flourish in women's uh, Bible studies, and uh, more and more were being drawn in, and so she's just been been there all this time and um, has shaped, uh, mm-hmm. shaped, because she shaped so many women, um, she shaped the convention, and so this really is a, a very significant event um, in the life of the convention, mm-hmm. and I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's, I think the historians will look back and, and see a lot that, that follows it. I don't know what that will be, but I think it definitely will be some sort of a, a turning point. Yeah. Karen, I'm, I'm curious, going back to your article on grace and shame, 
uh, I was just thinking about the huge response, especially from even uh, former uh, Southern Baptist Convention pastors who are African-American and the response to the Southern Baptist Convention presidents condemning critical race theory. And as a person outside looking in, it just seems like there's there's this underlying uh, desire to avoid the shame of embracing the fact or the realities of uh, race and racism and how they have permeated uh, the Southern Baptist Convention in general. And I'm curious if, if you can't just elaborate on that. Am I right about that? Yeah, Am I crazy? I mean, no, you're, you're right. I mean, this is this is part of what I was touching on in that in that article is, um, you know, there, there is real guilt that, because we've done wrong things and feel shame because of it, which is good. But then there's the kind of shame that comes when either, you know, we haven't done something wrong or we don't know if we've done something wrong, mm-hmm. but others are, are making us feel like we have been wrong, and so we feel shame not for what we've done, but for who we are or who we think we, or how we think we look to other Mm. people. And that's a really, that's a very hard thing to deal with. I think we all deal with it in a a lot of ways, this sense of shame that often is just, it's it's how we think others see us. Um, And that can be so hard to dispel. And I honestly do think that a, a lot of that is what's lurking um, beneath hmm. the surface of these conversations. Um, you know, we, we, there, there's a wound, and we're all carrying it, hmm. but we don't know what the source of the wound is, and we don't know if we did it to ourselves or someone else did it to us, and it's very natural to just kind of recoil. That's what shame makes us do. It makes us retreat and recoil, um, or, it, you know, it can make us lash out and, hmm. um, you know, and get defensive. Um, and... I, I just I think that we are not just as a Southern Baptist Convention, but even as a country, uh, we don't know what to do with the shame that we feel from the past that you know we haven't really faced, and whether we you know what the level of guilt is or how to deal with that um, is a is an important question. But that even that alone doesn't help us to. Um, grapple with, with yeah. the shame that we feel, whether it's legitimate shame or not. We still have to deal with it because as human beings, we're going to react to any shame that we feel. Mm, that's powerful. Yeah. And, and Karen, we talked about how you are a professor uh, at a seminary. You've also you used to teach at Liberty. Other places you've been in academics with college aid students and just at I'm curious for your opinion of this. Do you as you are with students uh, at seminary, uh, do, do you feel like they are hopeful uh, for the future of the church. And, and the flip of that is, are you hopeful for the next generation of Christians that you're teaching? Where are you at as you teach these students? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to answer that question. And but first, you know, I'm going to make a connection to shame because okay. your question makes me realize that, you know, I think that a lot of Christians, because of all the media attention and because of the polarization, the magnification that the media puts on our divisions and our, mm-hmm. our, our doubts and our guilt and our shame, I think that there's a level of embarrassment sometimes mm. that comes, or shame, that causes people to, um, to want to leave the Church. I think that's a lot of what we're seeing. Yeah. Um, it's not the only reason. Um, and so that's one response, I think, that we have to these questions is just um, the magnification of shame, and that, that can make people just want to run away. But on the other hand, um, I do see young people um, responding with, with 
really was learning some of the lessons we've been teaching them all along about having a more holistic um, biblical worldview, about caring mm-hmm. about all of the Bible, not just the parts of it. <laughs> and so I see them um, pushing back against the the errors that my generation has made um, in emphasizing some things and neglecting others. And um, I th- think that... Uh, yeah, they'll make mistakes of their own, but right now I see the, this next generation in the church, um, if they if they aren't overcome by the shame and embarrassment and running away, which is happening, mm-hmm. but uh, those who are staying are, are demanding better, um, and they, they give me some hope because I think that they... They offer us um, a mirror where we can see perhaps where where we need to make some corrections and um, fill in some gaps. Absolutely. Karen, I'm super curious about your book that came out in 2018 and reading well and reading some of these classic texts. And I'm curious what you would say about in reading some of the the sort of historical uh, books that have come out over the course of time like how do reading those things help us spiritually because sometimes i had a really difficult time reading those things so i'm i'm like excited to go get your book and 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 read it well you know there's a discipline involved i mean at the most basic level there's sort of a discipline involved in 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 reading texts are a little bit harder because of the vocabulary or just because they're in a different time or place or by people that aren't familiar to us um and that's that's good for the soul, that kind of challenge. But then there's also just um, learning to see the world through um, the eyes of someone else, and that, that mm. includes the author and the way the author uses language and, and presents the perspective of someone, and we see the world through their eyes while we're still kind of seeing it through our own eyes. That gives us the ability to consider different perspectives and to maybe have empathy with someone, even if we don't agree with them or mm-hmm. agree with their actions, um, it's actually, that, that's just kind of spiritual discipline that carries over into our own life in, in the real world. That's good. And Karen, so good. Uh, thrilled to have you with us. There's some guests I was joking with Steve off air who two segments can be a lot and you can try to, I feel like we could talk to you forever. So <laughs> really grateful for you. Bef- before we let you go, to let everybody know where's all the places they can find you, things you've written, things you put on social media, where can people find you? Well, all of my books are on my website, karenswallowbriar.com. Um, you can find my latest tweets. I tweet way too much on, on Twitter <laughs> at KSPryor. Um, and if you're more of a visual person, I do have an Instagram account where you can see my books and my dogs and my uh, sometimes my daily runs, um, and that's Karen Swallow Pryor. Um, and so, yeah, I guess there's a little something there for everyone, perhaps. Absolutely. Karen Swallow Pryor, again, is a research professor of English and Christianity and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Karen, this has been a ton of fun. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Thanks, Karen. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Yep. Thank you, Steve. You're listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside my guest co-host for the next two days, Steve Koble. My name is Brian Fromm, really glad to have you with us. Steve, thanks so much for doing this, man. It's really fun to have you here. It's fun to be here, Brian. It is. Well, like Last time we did it over from our houses, but now we're like right now. Yeah, know, man, this is the real deal. Well, but people would should know, well, I was going to say we're like five feet from each other. They're like, hey, what about, we well, got plexiglass yeah. between us, so, yeah. but uh, at least we could see each other, so it is a, it is a good time. Well, as we've been saying, man, you, you were both pastors. You're a pastor at 
uh, Renewal Church of Chicago. Did I tell you this? The, the other go- guest co-host we've been having often, Aubrey Sampson. Yeah, yeah. Her church is called Renewal Church of West Chicago. I remember. Chicago. <laughs> I didn't even know West Chicago was a town. Are you curious? Are I was serious? like, what, what part of West Chicago is she in? <laughs> She's like way west. So I told her, too. I'm like, hey, the other guy we've had in here. And she was like, no. Well, I'm like, apparently, if you're at a church called Renewal, we'll have you in studio. Yeah, yeah. We'll do this. So, uh, yeah, you're at Renewal Church of Chicago, uh, the teaching pastor there. And so I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about what are you preaching right now? Like, what have you guys been going through? Yeah. What are you going through? I'd love to just hear from other preachers and pastors about what they're doing. It's it's a, a very unique season, as you well know. Yes. And so f- for a lot of pastors, I think they're having to realize, like, man, we've got to recalibrate our folks. Mm. Uh, we've got to uh, pastor our folks. And so I think a lot of our preaching has been uh, application uh, heavy the past several uh, months. And um, so this particular series that we just came out of was sort of a foundations series okay. where we talked about the authority of the Bible and mm-hmm. we talked about the importance of community and we talked about loving the city and all of those things. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, man, I, do I really want to be here in, in, anymore? Cause I'm locked in my house. Yes. What, what does it mean to be present where God has placed you? And so we talked, uh, we talked about that and we talked about, uh, the ways of being a good neighbor in the middle of a pandemic because those things have changed and shifted a little bit. Yes. Um, and so, and then the importance of community where, where, you know, you, you're pastoring and you got small group leaders who are saying, you know what? I, I just don't want to do the zoom thing anymore for small group. And then you've got to recast vision for them for for the importance of what they're actually doing. And uh, and so we, we did that. We, we had a good response to that. And right now, uh, Ricky Brown, who pastors in Hyde Park, gave us this idea. But we're thinking about how many people are struggling with mental health. Yes. And so right now we're in a series where we're talking about mental health, uh, talking about depression, anxiety, um, and all of the different versions of, of those things. And so we're doing that, that series now. And then once we get out of that, series will start a long run in the book of Hebrews. And so Hebrews is a book that, you know, I've preached Hebrews chapter 12. It's a book that I haven't preached through. So I get pretty excited. I get pretty excited about it. I don't know about you, but anything like preaching for me, it, it so helps me understand the Bible. Yes. So that, so that then I have like this sort of, uh, just incredible picture of how all of scriptures fits together. Yeah. And then, um, and and so anytime it's a, a passage or a book that I haven't preached through, I get pretty pumped to That's to study. Do you? This is a strange question. Do you have a favorite book or series that you've done wow. in your life? I really love Galatians. Yeah. Uh, so actually, if you hear, if you talk to me for longer than an hour, I'll be like Galatians three one says this, <laughs> and then Galatians four six and Galatians five one. It is for freedom that Christ has set us oh, free. That's awesome. Uh, but man, last year we were in uh, Romans series, so we got to preach through Romans one two three, and some of those controversial passages are really. Uh, fun to dive in and like take a deeper look at. Yeah. And then last summer we preached through the book of Judges and I got that, that, that. last couple That's of great. chapters of the book of Judges where it's just wild <laughs> and people aren't sure what to do with it. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and it was just fun to be I shouldn't say it was kind of a crazy passage but people were like I couldn't believe that you were able to that y'all would actually preach through that yes. passage yes. in the Bible. Um, so those are some of my favorites. I have found people in our church I think so infrequently do we preach through the New Test, uh, the Old Testament, yeah, like a book of the Old Testament or something. 
that I've I've found it while it feels risky at times. Right. I, I have found people just like sit on the edge of their seats because they don't know the story. I remember, you know, a less controversial one, but we preached through the book of Nehemiah. And I just remember there were people who'd been in the church for 30 years and they're like, I've never thought of Nehemiah. I've never heard it. And you're just like, yeah. let's do it. Let's. And they were like on the edge of their seat. Yeah, man. Uh, and it made me realize like, okay, all scripture is God breathed. All counsel scripture God, is ready because a lot of times I think we as pastors be like, sure, I want to deal with that Old Testament stuff. Right yeah, now. yeah. And so uh, last thing, what are you guys like when you say you're preaching on mental health, what's that going to look like? It, it's we're, we're taking a, a bit of a unique approach. So we've looked at First Kings 19 uh, with Elijah's sort of response mm-hmm. to uh, to his experience after uh, the sacrifice um, uh, that they made in First Kings 17 and how God, the fire of God comes and consumes the whole sacrifice. And yet he's now he's on the run from Jezebel yep. and he kind of gets depressed. So we started with that. Then we, we did an interview uh, series with a series of therapists, actually. Um, Deb Gordon, who's the director of uh, Moody's uh, 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 therapy department. Okay. Um, and then a couple of other therapists. And then we're going to be doing uh, kind of a interview together with me and Pastor Derek to talk about our own struggles with mental health wow. over the course of the pandemic. And then we're going to have a couple of uh, Wheaton professors uh, who have uh, tenure Wheaton professors in uh, in the psychology department are going to come and we're going to interview them and talk a little bit. So we do a little bit of kind of like a front end 10 to 15 minute message and then kind of an interview That's of great. a couple of professionals um, just to be more applicational yeah. um, in terms of giving people real tools to take home with them. That's um that's really admirable that you guys are going to talk about yourself because let's be honest, especially in past generations, but even we feel it now as pastors, there's this feel of like, I can't talk about that. I've said before in a, in a message like, Hey, when I was talking to my counselor and like that comes out of your mouth and you're kind of like, I hope yeah. that was okay. <laughs> uh, but do you feel any anxiety about that? Or are you excited to kind of open yourself up? And uh, was that something you had to think about before being like, yeah, let's talk about it ourselves or you're yeah, more an open I, book. I think you do have to think about it. I do think that like, as like a part of my philosophy of preaching in general is this idea that that if if I show people who sort of the the realness of my life, it allows them to realize I don't have to trust in my reputation. Mm-hmm. I can trust in Jesus's righteousness Good. and not my own. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's like a gospel space uh, where the preacher opens up. And then they realize, like, oh, I don't have to trust in my reputation. Like, right. what we were talking about, Jesus being our righteousness, like, that can really be a thing. Yes, yes. And so that's a part of my philosophy. And I do think about it. I try to figure out what's what feels appropriate or mm-hmm. what doesn't feel appropriate. Um, but at the same time, it there's just the reality that a lot of people are struggling with this. And we as preachers aren't, uh, you know, we're we're not out of the woods on on some of it as well. And you look at the Bible and you realize Elijah Elijah had done a yep. lot of incredible things for yep. God, and yet he slipped into some deep depression. That's right. Um, and and so I kind of carry with me this idea that vulnerability will break the power of shame. So mm-hmm. some of that Brene Brown stuff, and yep. even uh, to uh, Karen's conversation. You know, that there's a part of this that Satan wants me to hide in fear. That's right. And if if I do open myself up, you know, you just got to be tactful about it. So Henry Nowen is mm-hmm. an author mm-hmm. that I love. He wrote a book called The Wounded Healer. Yep. Um, and I kind of take that as a philosophy of 
of leadership and counseling and pastoring is that I am the wounded healer. That's great. Um, That's and so I've, I've, I've got to allow myself to acknowledge my woundedness uh, if I'm if I'm going to be able to come alongside somebody else. It's good stuff, man. I remember as we close, I remember preaching early on in my life and somebody coming up to me and going, I really appreciate that you seem like just kind of one of us. Yeah. And I was like, that's a really kind of damning comment to everyone else you've listened to. Right. And it's it's hard. And so, you know, there's pastors out there. I'd love to uh, challenge them with that. Why don't you have a last word here? Yeah, I, I just I just want to say that, you know, we've we've talked too about like what's the the millennials perspective of the church. Yeah. And, you know, there's this this desire for authenticity and genuineness. And I think that part of our leadership as pastors of this generation is the ability to toe that line of being vulnerable um, and showing people our actual lives. Um, And I think that that's what people are desiring. And so if there is some confusion on, you know, what the church's future is, um, I think part of us as leaders is stepping in to pastor that need, that that um, that uh, sort of felt needs that people have right right now. That's right, man. That's a really good word to end on. I'm thrilled that you joined us. Steve's going to come back and join us tomorrow. Uh, and we hope you'll join us tomorrow from 4 until 6. For Steve Coble, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.